listen, I want you to find the book of 1 Timothy. We're starting a new series this morning, going through the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to walk through that. And um, I just want you to know that your pastor this morning is tender. I'm like a piece of meat that's just been tenderized for this last week. Um, I went to Cincinnati, and I went to something called Christian Alliance for Orphans National Conference. What's that? It's basically 2,500 people gathered in a room, all serving and working of living out this calling that God has put on people's lives to care for the vulnerable in our city, in our country, in our world. And um, as is happening right now, all through the week, at the drop of a pin, for no reason at all, I could just be stopped, choked up, and start crying. And um, I want you guys to know I mean, there are incredible things being accomplished and done by the power of the Lord through the local church. And um, man, if for nothing else, it didn't cost this church a dime for me to go. A generous church in our Foster the City Coalition said, we believe in Foster the City going to this. And so uh, seven of my teammates came, now from not only the Bay Area, but Orange County and Kate from Reno I got to come, and before one of the sessions, before we all dispersed in person, um, we prayed and laid hands on Kate as she launches Foster the City, now across a state line in Reno, Nevada, um, and that's just our little part of the world. You guys, I'm just, I'm here to report God is on the move, and the need is massive, um, and so I, would, I was literally walking to a session. You had to cut through the, the worship room, the sanctuary. And they're doing a sound check. And I was stopped dead in my tracks on a sound check of just the chorus of some song and just sat there, just worshiping God and and overjoyed at what's going on. So, um, man, I bring good news today. Um, I'm going to cry probably a bunch, but I bring good news. It's actually really joyful. It's just the stuff you don't hear. My wife doesn't watch the news regularly because it's just bad news mostly. That's what sells. It's like clickbait for old people. Like we still watch the news and watch the screen that way. And it just, you know, story after story, I'm here to tell you there are great things going on even in Cincinnati, Ohio. Can you believe it? Every time I told someone I'm going to Cincinnati, they're like, why? Like no one goes, oh yeah, that makes total sense since he's beautiful this time of year. Anyway, so I'm back and here this morning and thrilled to be with you. Um, so we're here this morning, and we've already been doing this. We're here this morning to celebrate and proclaim this incredibly good news that we are reconciled. That sinful people, wayward people, faulty people are reconciled to a holy God. Amen? That's great news. We've been singing about it, talking about it, thinking about it. And because of that, the overflow of that, look to your neighbor, look to a person to the left or right or in front of behind you. You are reconciled to one another. You can look across the aisle and look across your seat next to each other and just, and just do that. Like you're reconciled with people. We are here to proclaim and celebrate that truth. This is worth celebrating regularly. This is worth pondering deeply. But there's a problem. The problem is this. Each one in this room and each one listening right now or in the future faces similar problems because we have a common enemy 
and we share common flesh. We all have similar problems because we have a common enemy and we all walk around in similar kinds of flesh. What's the problem? The problem is this. It is that relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. Not just with one another, but think about your relationship with God. Your relationship with God, God is hard. It's strained. Not always, but there's ever-present this, this coming strain or challenge to it. Your relationships with one another are hard. If you're in a sweet season, parents and kids, kids and siblings, spouses, uh, singles who are relating to roommates and classmates and friendmates, praise God for that. Celebrate it. You know why? Because relationships are hard and that doesn't last forever. Isn't it true you untangle the mess of relationship and then time passes and what happens? You're like, I just untangled that. How is this all tangly again? A single word, scratch that, a single look can tangle up a relationship once again. So relationships are hard and messy. I would say they're strained now in some ways more than ever, not ever in history, because honestly, sin just divides people. That's the nature of things. Sin divides people. And if you give time to your relationships, um, which way does the drift go? Do you drift towards other people or do you drift away from them? Away from them. Every single time. I just texted the Godino family. Actually, no, I I sent a video. Um, Diehard Philadelphia Eagles fans. They used to sit right over here. Uh, They have four children. They were in our community group. They moved um, early on in COVID. Apple said, you don't have to live where you live. You can work from wherever. They don't have ties to the Bay Area. They said, one of the few things keeping us in the Bay Area was our church. We love our church family. Um, But it wasn't strong enough. So they went to family in Colorado. And so here I am in the Denver airport on a layover two nights ago, um, getting in late, and I just sent a video, and um, I had to mention the Cowboys, because they're Philly fans, and, and uh, they didn't appreciate that very much, but it was just a fun little connection, and they said, man, next time, plan a layover, come, come stay the night, we'd love to see you, we miss you, how are you doing, and just all of this, all of this great check-in uh, would, would go on with that. We have drifted away from the Godinos, because time just causes us to drift, a relationship that I saw every single week, almost without fail, and then a second time, midweek, because of a community group, has drifted, such that a short video and a short text is like, hey, how's it going? Things are good. How about you? Yeah, we're pretty good. See you next time. Why? Because relationships drift over time. That's just the nature of things. So if, if relationships drift over time, and we drift away from people, not toward each other, what do we do about that? What do we do about this relationship here in this room? We all want to relate well to people. Hear me. We all want to relate well to people. And hear this second part. We all struggle. You can look at me and say, oh, Dave's a people person. People, people struggle with people. You look at other people, you're like, yeah, I'm not a people person. (laughs) Guess what? That person struggles with people also. Everyone wants to relate well to one another. Everyone struggles. We're going to unpack this phrase I use a lot with my family. I say a lot around here, which is this. Do the hard work of getting along. Do the hard work of getting along. We're going to, we're going to look at that a little bit later. But here's the second part to this. Great. Do the hard work of, of getting along. But what is that work? What am I supposed to be doing? Enter 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is going to speak to the hard work 
of getting along with other people. Profoundly, repeatedly, and in so many different ways that you're not even thinking of right now. Before we jump into another book of the Bible, let me just um, kind of walk us through this idea. I like using the start of a book of the Bible to reimagine this and rethink through this. But why a book of the Bible and why not pick a topic? I could pick a topic like how to relate well to each other, right? Is that allowed to do? Totally. I think I have complete freedom as a preacher in a local church to do that. But as years go by, I am more and more um, astounded that as we have chosen at this church primarily to work through books of the Bible, God has shown up and spoken in profound ways. And I want to lay out just a couple of those to you, okay? We're not dogmatic about it. We could hit pause at any moment, and we do periodically stop and do topical sermons and look at, um, look at things from a different vantage point than just marching through a letter or book of the Bible. <clears throat> but I want to tell you um, why my, my resolve to do this grows over time and doesn't diminish over time. Here's number one. Giving ourselves to understand a whole book of the Bible disciplines us to see the eternal word of God at work um, and not simply cherry-picking what, what, the, what the preacher wants to talk about or what the elders want to talk about or what the people might be griping about or asking for. I think it's really important to get feedback on, hey, what do you need to know? What do you need to hear? I think those are super important questions. However, when a preacher, when a church, when a ruling body, however the church is organized or structured, when they are routinely going after um, topics and answering questions that they tend to want to ask, um, what happens is this. Uh, there's many, many times when I look at my own life and I go, man, I wasn't even asking the right questions. When I walk through a scripture, I say, man, the questions that were on my mind that I wanted to go to the scriptures to answer weren't even the right questions. In the end, they may have been questions that were very, very temporal. Here's one of the things we say around here is that we don't preach the headlines in light of scripture. So I don't grab the headlines and, and keep applying, what does the scripture say about this, 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 this? First of all, I'd go insane, right? Because how many he headlines are there? A lot. I don't know the number either, but there's a lot. Second thing about headlines is someone is steering the spotlight to certain questions. And oftentimes, those people are not Christians. So we don't preach the headlines in light of scripture. We preach the scripture in light of and aware of headlines. Does that make sense? Those are two different ways of approaching it. So for instance, this last season, we preached through the book of Micah. And Micah talks about a lot of things that are on the, in the cultural conversation, um, but Micah approaches it and handles it in a completely different way. The grass withers, the flower fades, and I would add this, that, that, that headlines evaporate. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever and ever. And ever, headlines evaporate. I mean, they are here today and gone tomorrow, like grass and flowers. When someone's ever changing to the speaking, uh, to, to, the, to the changing winds of relevancy, um, again, in, in not answering the right questions, um, we, we, we find ourselves 
again, just sort of chasing culture, chasing the conversation, instead of sort of getting above it and, and looking at it. So I, I, I see this happening um, in all kinds of ways. Here's a headline I read this morning. I typically, Sunday morning, at least just scan the headlines to make sure like something massive hasn't gone on that's just like, Dave, you didn't speak to, to that, and that's a giant thing. Well, this morning I happened to read about a doctor who was protesting the new abortion law in Texas... Um, by going on record in the Washington Post as saying, I have performed an abortion beyond the six weeks that now the laws allow for in Texas. And that was his way of, of, of protesting the new restrictive law in Texas. Well, that caught my eye because of this. On the way home from Cincinnati, um, I did some light uh, viewing on Netflix, a documentary called Reversing Roe, as in Roe versus Wade. Um, I'd recommend it to you, not because I believe with, with, with all my heart with what it says. In fact, it actually comes from a very liberal, pro-choice, pro-abortion stance. That is directly opposed to my stance. And after leaving a conference of 2,500 people where I heard over and over and over testimonies have said, this child will be a burden to you, abort it. And the person said no, and the person took the child um, on, not as a burden, but as a great joy made in the image of God. And then I got to see people standing on stage next to them 20, 25 years later and saying, yeah, that person wasn't a burden to this family. That person was a gift to that family. What nonsense to say that that child um, should have been aborted. Here's what I watched as I watched Roe v. Wade, or, or Reversing Roe, this, this documentary. What I saw was this, all through it, I'm trying to listen and understand from a, from a perspective of many, many people in my family, friend group, and city who think it's insane to have a pro-life stance, not a pro-choice stance. And I just go, God, help me get in the mindset of where, of where a person like that is coming from. Here's what this documentary goes to over and over and over again. In all of its talking and trying to show both sides and all of this, it is missing this fundamental question. It is missing and talking right past um, the well-being of the baby. We don't call it a fetus anymore or tissue because we know better. Uh, it talks right past the well-being of the baby, the rights of the baby, and the choice of the baby. It talks right past all of that at all points. So as I watch that, I think about this. As we preach through books of the Bible, it continues to bring up questions and solutions that we would never come up with on our own. What I think the director and producer, I saw the director's name at the end of it, and just prayed really quickly, I just thought, man, this person who directed this movie and set out to get this message out is living in a bubble such that like, they can't even ponder some of these outside questions and challenges to it. And it's clear from the documentary that that is true. So I put all that out to say that is one of the reasons that we preach the scriptures. First Timothy 4.16, we're going to get that weeks from now, but let's listen. Paul writes to Timothy this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, um, you will be saving both yourself and your hearers. Here's the second reason why we go through books of the Bible. It's because going through a book of the Bible promotes great living by careful thinking. Great living by careful thinking. Paul is clear with Timothy 
in both of his letters, First and Second Timothy, are two different letters to, to, to Timothy, that pastors be men of the word. He didn't only teach this, but he lived this. A couple of weeks ago in my Bible quiet time, right through these walls in my office, I am reading through Acts 18. Do you know how I know that Paul not only taught this but lived this? Um, It's because I was reading my Bible. And in reading my Bible, I see record of how Paul conducted himself. In Acts 18, it says in verse 5 that Paul occupied himself with the Word. Don't you love that? What's your occupation? Well, I'm occupied with the Word. Oh, and I'm an engineer on the side. What's your occupation? Well, I'm occupied with the Word of God. Why? Because the disciples hear and do what God says. That's why. Oh, and I'm a mom who works full-time, very much so, in the home and tending to things. Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. I kind of highlighted that, thought about that some more, kept reading on. Verse 11, six verses later, it says, He stayed in this place one and a half years more, teaching the Word of God among them. What was Paul doing? He was occupying himself with the Word. Then he stays in this one part of the city that he's in for a year and a half. What does he occupy himself with? Teaching other people. And when you're occupied and filled up feasting on the Word, it just bubbles out. You can't contain it. Verse 28 It says, for he, talking about Apollos, powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Here's what I take away from just reading one chapter of my Bible and thinking about how the scripture is central to my life, to the life of my family, and to the life of this church. And I pray something along these lines, oh God, keep me close to your word. I want to be occupied with your word. I want to be teaching your word. I want to be showing your word. How much shipwrecked faith is occurring all around me right now because people are unconnected and uneducated regarding the word of God. They're looking for a word from everywhere else except the word of God. God may not be true of myself. Let me say this, that the bride of Christ is punched in the gut regularly by different people and voices. And oftentimes when the church is attacked, I kind of laugh because I go, yeah, that's kind of true. That's kind of true. That mocking, yeah, it sort of fits. But then I'm also really, really pained because God has called me, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, to give myself to this local body. I'm a Christian first committed to a family. And as I hear the bride of Christ punched regularly, I hear often this, that they should go back to the, ori- to the original version of it in Acts. Now, oftentimes this is said by people who are sort of idealized and aren't really understanding the scriptures. M- much of the scriptures were written to untangle the mess of relationship. So it wasn't idealized, actually. There's some pretty gnarly stuff going on in the early church. You can just read your Bible and see it. But here's what I most often hear about and see if you track with this. When people punch the church in the face or the gut and put accusations towards the church and say, you guys should go back to the book of Acts, here's what I most often hear about. I most often hear about um, the fact that we should be living in community better and sharing better. 
that we should be giving of our stuff and our time and our energy, and we should be living closer in community with each other. I almost never, ever, ever hear when people are attacking the church and saying you should go back to Acts, I almost never hear the part about the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The early church had Ananias and Sapphira come and die in a church service and feared God and got back to the word. They were so clearly taught and warned and ruled by scripture that it was an outflow into their life. Do you know why the early church knew to sell their stuff and give it away to other people in the body so that no one would go without? Do you know how they knew that? Because they were filled with the spirit of God and understood the scriptures. They were taught and warned from scripture. Almost no one that I talk to that says, man, the church is this, 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 and this, and they need to get back to the early church. I almost never hear people say, so what, I mean, what I would sarcastically say is, so you mean we should bring God's word front and center and treat it like it's the eternal holy word of God and that it's authoritative for all things in our life and we should heed every warning from it. Is that what you're saying? Almost none of them would say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. No, they would talk about the community aspect and the sharing aspect and the justice aspect and all these other things. Hear me really clearly. It's not one or the other. It is both and. I want you to be at a church. I want to stand before God along with my fellow elders and say, God, here's how we tried to rule well. We kept the word of God. We thought carefully about the word of God. We kept it central to this church. I was reading this one guy one time, and he said, if you are at a church that does not open the Bible and preach and teach from it regularly, at best, hear me, you are wasting your time. At best, you're wasting your time. At worst, what? You might be being led into a cult. You might be being led just into man or woman's mind. And that's a terrifying trip. So, church, I want to preach biblically. Church, I call you, listen biblically. That means, man, if the preacher's getting off task or whatever else, you, you call it out. Maybe not in service. That could get a little chaotic. But let's keep ourselves centered and grounded on the word. All right. Um, all right. How about part two? Part two is this. Why, why this book of the Bible? So I just talked about why, why a book of the Bible. That's why. Why this book? Why First Timothy? Well, we want a healthy diet of Old Testament and New Testament. We believe that two-thirds of your Bible is not irrelevant just because it's hard to get at sometimes. We prove that by going through the book of Micah, right? And in the book of Micah, it was really powerful because Micah sounded crazy relevant to me. It wasn't hard to see the relevance of Micah. Lamenting that good leaders are being exposed as frauds. Lamenting that you can't even trust the people closest to you. Even the one you lay with, that means your spouse Lamenting that you can't trust your neighbors. Lamenting that the trickle effect of that is that the neighborhoods are are just going downhill. And that's Micah 7. Calling people everywhere to turn to God for help. Man, Micah was really, really relevant. But Micah took some work to to get at. I love that we have an elder team that preaches here. Um, Those of us on staff, we get to preach and have our job merge into that. Our elders who preach and teach are doing that in the late evenings after a full-time Silicon Valley life that they're trying to do. I kind of warned them with Micah. I said, hey, guys, just so you know, like, I know you know this, but it's going to take a little bit more work and digging to preach, to preach through Micah. Did you notice that none of the elders preach through Micah? <laughs> it's not because they're afraid of the topic. It just took more work and more digging. You know what's amazing about 1 Timothy? 
You're going to read like a sentence or two in First Timothy, and you could turn around and teach it. If you've been a Christian for half a second, you're like, oh yeah, totally get it. So it's really, really accessible for us. We just went through an Old Testament book. We're going to go through a New Testament book. So that's, that's a part of why we're in uh, Timothy, just to, to balance that. Secondly is this. Um, uh, this, this little letter, First Timothy, is going to be a gift to us in the way of growing up in our godliness. Here's my guarantee to you. My guarantee to you is this, that your life will improve as you put what you learn in First Timothy into practice. I don't know when, but God's word doesn't return void. If we give ourselves to what's being talked about in First Timothy, your life will improve. Maybe not immediately. You might come two or three weeks in and go, man, you've, you're, this is making my life really, really hard. I'm trying to live according to the word. We've talked about this. Often you have to go through the Central Valley to get to Yosemite Valley, right? There's a long time driving on the way to Yosemite. They're like, this is hot and terrible. I now believe in hell. It's Sanger, California, right? Or whatever. But then you get to where God's taking you. Stay with it. First Timothy is more readily accessible. But again, we are going to need careful attention to see what does it say for us today. What are the good interpretive practices that we need to do? Here's one of the things I want you to keep in mind. If you write something down, write this. First Timothy is a missionary correspondence. First Timothy is a missionary correspondence. If we keep in mind that this is from one missionary to another missionary, it's going to help frame what we're talking about. These are not inactive Christians. These are not bored churchmen. These are, these are people who are actively uh, missionaries. Paul to the world is writing to missionary Timothy to the local church. Paul's call was to go out to the Gentiles. Anyone non-Jewish was his primary focus. And he's writing to Timothy in this local place. Missionary, of course, just means sent one. But a missionary, get, let's get this in our head, a missionary is not one who travels, but is on mission. So think about this. Paul was sent to go and travel and be all over. That's why you see maps galore in the back of your Bible. Timothy, at this point in his life, after traveling crazy with Paul all over the place, is sent to a local community. I very much view myself as a pastor in a local church who's been here, raised here, outside of 10 months of my life, has lived in San Jose my entire life. I'm a missionary. A missionary to San Jose. I'm on special assignment to this place. As a Christian, you might be a missionary not only to a city, but to a company, to a school, right? To a family, to a neighborhood. So Christians have the great joy of knowing that God has called us and equipped us and is leading us. We use this word share around here in this way. Worship is being in relationship with God. Community is being in relationship with one another. And the word share captures this sending, make disciples, be on special assignment um, component to this. This is a regular part of every Christian. So we read 1 Timothy remembering it is a missionary correspondence. Powerfully, in the over-generosity of God, what Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul's word to Timothy is also God's word to us. I don't have time to unpack all of that. Some of that just must be taken by faith. But Paul's word to Timothy is God's word to us. 
And as we look at this, we're going to be looking at that as hearing directly from God through his uh, servant, Paul. Paul, by this time, is an older, seasoned pastor, missionary, Christian, and he's instructing his young protege on how to lead and live in the church. First Timothy is about leadership in the church and life in the church. And I'm going to kind of tell you where I'm going with the, the whole idea of our title right now. Dwell well in the house of God. Dwell well in the house of God. First Timothy, the series is going to be all about this. By the way, this is not a picture of my family uh, table. And aside from last night, where it was one of my children's birthday meals, and our, our table looked roughly like this at the start, that is one of the only times that our table would ever look picture-worthy like this. Most of the time, it looks a whole lot more like there's signs of life and struggle and victory happening, and it's way more messy than this. I almost got a picture of that, but I thought, no, let's go with the crate and barrel demo look uh, this time. So there you go. Dwell well in the house of God. Turn your Bible to 1 Timothy 3.15. I just want you to look at this. This is where this is coming from. 1 Timothy 3.15 says this. Remember, missionaries, correspondence, older Paul, writing to younger pastor Timothy. 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of faith, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. When you hear the word house throughout this series, I want you primarily to think about household. If you're a member of a household, it doesn't mean you're a brick or a stud or drywall, right? It means you are a member in that, in that family, in that house. So the household of God is people. The church of God is people, right? So we might, so we might know how to live in the household of God, which is the church, kind of one and the same word. Dwell is a call to action, We choose where we live. We choose how we're going to invest and settle in. Settle in and live as God's household, a family of faith. Think about how much allegiances change um, when you become a Christian. What used to define us is first name or last name, maybe our title, maybe our education, maybe our, our ethnicity, our job, our age, our gender, our location, whatever. But now what defines us as, as, is, is Christ. I'm a Christian. Like the most important thing you could possibly know about me is that I'm a Christian. From that, all kinds of other things come about. Same is true for you. When we get married, you think about what you are devoted to and how you define yourself before marriage. The moment someone goes from boyfriend, girlfriend to engaged, what does their boyfriend or girlfriend become? A fiancé. A new title there. How about once they get married, they become husband or wife? New title. Isn't it true that what you're devoted to and how you define yourself ought to change once you get married? It better. I tell young knucklehead guys who are still living like they're single, dude, wake up. (laughs) 
Like you are married now. You're a husband now. Or, or living as a father now to a newborn and not understanding there's a fundamental change that has just gone on because you now are a father. You are, def- you are devoted and defined in a different way. Man, get your head on straight. And I need people to tell me that too. I'm not above it. So dwell is a call to action. But we're not just to dwell in the house of God. We're to dwell well in the house of God. No one that I ever have met aims for the status quo or brokenness in relationships. No one. And yet status quo or brokenness is how many, many people would define past relationships. Think about it. We just as a team in a Cincinnati Airbnb went around and heard some of people's origin stories. It led with one question. Hey, anyone have any bad dating experiences? That led to two hours. Literally, I had a headache from laughing so hard, and I cried. I laughed. I cried. It was amazing. And here are these people that just were vulnerable in sharing with one another uh, their stories. And here's what I heard in that, is that no one aims for it, but status quo and brokenness is where many, many, many relationships lead to. Dwell well in the house of God. Don't just dwell and stick it out and kind of grin and bear it. Dwell well. How do we do that? Well, I put on here, do the hard work of getting along. I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. We all want to live well, and we all struggle to do so. Hear that message. I think people feel like, I must be doing it wrong if I'm the only one struggling. You're not. Every one of us struggles. We all want to live well, and we all struggle to do so. I bet if I pressed you, I bet that your biggest dreams include other people. We are wired to relate to other people. What you're dreaming about right now, I bet it includes someone else, doesn't it? And I also bet this, I bet some of your biggest shame and biggest disappointment center on how those dreams and visions of being with other people, relating to other people, going on this journey with other people have been broken. That's where some of, by far, my biggest disappointments, my biggest points of shame that the enemy will whisper to me center around brokenness, around how I thought it would be, how I thought it should be, and it isn't today. Man, those are the places God wants to speak into. I hear a lot about human flourishing, and people try to use human flourishing to sell the stupidest products sometimes. I'm not going to flourish if I buy that product. Come on. But human flourishing requires human relating, and this is hard. You want to flourish as a human being, it means, it means relating to other people, period. And this gets hard, and it's messy. So do the hard work of getting along. Let me just sort of uh, give you three things really quick that you could take notes on this. This is in your handout, not the three things, but here it is. Number one is this. This phrase not only warns you um, that it... Um, that, that relationships are hard, um, but, it's, but it's like there's something to, to do about it. This phrase, do the hard work of getting along, gives you your expectations. It lets you know over and over and over again, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not right. So keep at it. That's one of the lies that the enemy will whisper to you. That's one of the lies that social media promotes to you. Gee, everyone else seems to be having great times with their friends. My friends are kind of run-of-the-mill on average. 
Man, everyone else has kids that perfectly obey. Everyone else has marriages that are thriving. Mine seems to be in shambles. Relationships are hard. So this phrase sets up expectation. Secondly, this. It gives you instructions. Do the hard work of getting along. We're going to get instructions in 1 Timothy as we look. Not only on how to live well, but catch this, how to recover well. What happens when things go wrong? Which they will. See point one. Relationships are hard. So how do you do it well? Let's go in with good intention, good instruction, uh, good expectations. But how do we recover when things break? Oh, the scriptures are filled with instruction for that. Finally, here's what you're going to see in 1 Timothy on doing the hard work of getting along. Don't just do the hard work of getting along. Let me give you expectations. Let me give you instruction. And let me give you empowerment. Hope for the journey. We are enabled by the presence and power of the risen Jesus to relate well to people. We are empowered by the presence Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. He is with us wherever we go. We are empowered by the presence and the power of the risen Jesus to empower us on our way to relating well. We are able to dwell well together, church, as a family, as a household of faith, in your relationships, in your homes. Take the great news that it's never too late to start. Whatever's been broken in the past, today is the day. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and serve the Lord in the ways He's prescribed. He is with you in the journey to repair relationships and move forward in a godly way. Man, that's so encouraging. The last piece of this I just want to touch on is this. Dwell well in the house of God. Of course, the house of God is human beings right? Uh, What's interesting about the the scriptures as you look at it is God moves from sort of a mobile tent where his presence was to a stationary temple, right? To where now? He now crowdsources it in people. He embodies human bodies. That's where he lives, the dwelling place of God. That's why our life song, I want to, I want to sign your name at the end of each day. If you're a Christian, Jesus goes with you wherever you take him. So that's a really, really powerful thing. We are the presence of God. So on the one hand, recognize that. That's primarily true. But in this season, dwell well in the house of God. I want to comment on this. Something powerful happens when we're together. As I prayed about CAFO and I thought about this current team, I just prayed. I said, God, something amazing happens when we gather together. I'm going to see people for the very first time not on Zoom that are involved in a very important work in different parts of our country. Would you bless our time together? And I went to Kate, met her in the airport in Houston. Kate flew from Reno. We all met up in Houston. And moments after meeting Kate, say, Kate, good to see you. I was part of her interview of bringing her on the team. And I looked at her and I said, Kate, I said, way to jump in and live with a bunch of strangers for four days. I said, I hope you like us. And here's what Kate said. Kate said, I hope you like me. She was just vulnerable. She was expressing like, man, this is kind of vulnerable to come and be with a bunch of strangers and join work with you. And as I thought about this week, and I already told you about the laying hands and blessing Kate 
and the ministry that's going to go on in Reno moving forward. She's not even fully on the team yet, actually. She's going to be one of the few paid people on staff. That could not have happened on Zoom. It's something different to go, touch the screen, everyone on Zoom, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's get hands on Kate. You can't do that. There's something really, really powerful about being physically together. So hear me really clearly, and I want to talk directly to a screen for a second. In this season, church, I am inviting you. I'm not cajoling you. I'm not headlocking you. I'm not shaming you. I am inviting you to come to the house of God. We say, come as you are, but don't say that way. I would say, come as you are, but come. Come in your pajamas. If that's just your new routine on Sundays and you want to stay in them, great, come. Loads of grace for the masked and the unmasked, the vaxxed and the non-vaxxed. If you have an extreme medical condition, if you have something like that, hear me, stay home. That's great. But for the vast majority of you, if you are watching this on Tuesday or listening to this half-heartedly, come to church. Dwell well in the house of God. There's something powerful when carriers of the Spirit of God get together, look each other in the eye, sing together, pray together. We're going to break bread and communion together in a moment. Next service, we're going to celebrate a baptism together. Church, we are designed to be physically together. Let me remind you, those at home, we have an outdoor seating area now, indefinitely, where we will be broadcasting what we're doing in here, out there. We are making every allowance available to say, come and gather. So as we go through First Timothy Church, those of you who are here, keep gathering, keep coming in person. I kind of made a joke about the Golding family. They showed up before the first note of church this morning. A plus, gold star. I went and just gave a fist pump to them. I said, good job. I know what it is to try and get someone somewhere with lots of people. It's hard. But get here. Get here ready. Get here primed and pumped. You know the passage for next week because it's in your community group questions every single week. All right. 1 Timothy 1. One to two. Let me just read it. And this morning is literally setting up who this is to and sort of an overview. Very quickly, 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Quite simply, this is a typical start of a letter. Paul to Timothy. That's what this is. Just sort of the address. What's amazing about this is you see this. What drove Paul? Paul was on a special assignment from Jesus himself. Anyone amazed by Paul? Anyone look up to Paul? Let me raise your hand if you are amazed by Paul. I look up to Paul. I go, man, I'm being mentored by Paul. God used Paul. When he says, follow me as I follow Christ, I'm like, I'm following Paul. God used you in incredible ways. Why is it that he couldn't be bought? He couldn't be swayed? He couldn't be convinced? He couldn't be pressured? He couldn't be beaten out of his devotion to Jesus Christ? Because he got his special assignment right from Jesus. His conversion story is astounding. And it left it so that nothing could knock him off of his path. And boy, was it tested. I think Jesus gave him special calling because he was going to have a special beating. He was going to have special testing. And he withstood. By the grace of God, he passed the test. Here's a penetrating question for you and I. Ready? Paul knew who he was. He knew what he was supposed to do. 
And you know who you're supposed to do it with? Do you. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you're called to do? The most important thing. And do you know who you're supposed to do it with? Let me give you a hint, married people. If you have the title of husband or wife, part of that with, do not overlook that. That is a key part of who you are to lay down your life and serve. If you are called mom or dad, aunt, uncle, grandparent, whoa, that's a huge thing. That's a joyful but solemn burden that you'll give account for. That's a giant part of your, of your who. Minister to your family. Don't overlook them. Man, Paul knew who he was, what he was supposed to do. In this letter, what you're going to see, this is one of the things called a, a pastoral epistle. First and Second Timothy and Titus. These three letters in the New Testament collectively are called the pastoral epistles. It's sort of like pastor training from an older to a younger. Here's what he says about Timothy. I was just at a conference, and you could tell when someone was introducing a speaker, like, hey, this is a great speaker, and da 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 versus someone who knew that person. And said, man, there's, there's no one like this person. Let me tell you why this person is on this stage. I sort, of, I sort of just watched it. This is Paul introducing Timothy as to basically who he is and why you should listen to him. In Philippians 2.20, Paul writes this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father... He has served me in the gospel. I have a handful of people in my life that I can look at and say, man, I have, I have no one else like you in my life. Thank you for being that person. This is Paul to Timothy. Man, the glory of teamwork. Paul had Timothy and Timothy had Paul. You think about why Timothy would listen to Paul's life, I mean, to, to, to Paul's word on, on matters. What authority does Paul have in Timothy's life? I don't think he listened to him just because he said he was a man of God. He demonstrated over and over and over again that he was living out the truth. I was thinking about this. Matt is fairly new. Matt, in some ways, has to listen to me right now. It's sort of his job. My prayer is that there would come a day, in fact, it's already happening, I think. My prayer is that there would come a day when he would listen to me, not just because it's on his job title and and he's my direct report. But rather that there would be this, this camaraderie in the gospel that says, man, there's, there's an authority and weight to that. The, the people in my life, I've been blessed to be at churches where I had to listen to someone on paper, but I chose to listen far beyond that. They had way more weight in my life. And I can tell that that was genuine because once I wasn't paid to have to listen to them, you know what I did? I listened to them. Man, that's a rich gift. If you have people in your life that are like that, that's a massive, massive gift. Holy cow, time is flying. All right, here's what I want to do. I'm just going to hit pause. (laughs) This is going to wrap up really awkwardly. You're like, Dave, you're not even out of verse 1 of 1 Timothy yet. I think I'm going to pick up the pace. I have no guarantees on that. I think I'm going to pick up the pace. Um, Otherwise, we'll be in 1 Timothy for 10 years. Um, But I want to hit pause. I want to invite the band to come on up. Uh, We're going to celebrate communion right now. Think about this. Dwell well in the house of the Lord. What we're about to do, physically present with one another, 
is just, is just an expression of what I just said. There's nothing like being together in person. You are wired not to link in via, via some other medium, but to, but to be present with the church family. God, thank you so much for allowing us the health, the means, the place, and, and the wherewithal to come and gather on a Sunday morning, a gorgeous Sunday morning in the Silicon Valley where we could be out searching and filling and doing all kinds of other things. God, you have drawn us here. We're not here against our will. We're not here because we're being paid to. God, we're here because you alone have the words of life. We commit this series to you, God, as we move forward with it. We commit our time that we're going to invest in it, both here on Sundays but also throughout the week. I pray that you would help, help us not just to hear it but implement it. God, not just, to, not just to study it, but to really understand it and comprehend what it is you have for us. God, we love you. We thank you for your deep care for, uh, for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.